1: You've just published your latest book, Gladiator, um, and my first question was, what prompted you to write this book?
0: Well, the answer to that would be the previous book in the series, which was called Legionary. In fact, that was the book which started the series, and it was so popular that um, Thames and Hudson also commissioned other books in the series, so we've got Viking and Samurai coming out, and Knight, which is already on the shelves. And my wife never reads my books until they're actually in book form. And once she had read Legionary, she said, well, you really ought to do one on gladiators. And once she had said that, it became perfectly obvious to me that that is what I should do. And obviously Thames and Hudson felt the same because when I pitched it to them, their affirmative came back by return of post.
1: Right. And um, so... This, the book Gladiator is, um, well, it's called the Roman Fighter's Manual, and it seems a more light-hearted, more humorous um, way of writing a history of gladiators and presenting who the gladiators were. Um, and I wondered what the purpose of these shorter history books were.
0: Well, the purpose that we're doing here is, as you will see when you look at the humour, it is of a pretty dark type. As um, you would expect, given the subject matter, because um, the subject, which is basically people semi-voluntarily being forced to fight and kill each other, is, when you get right down to base of it, a grim topic. But I approach it with, it, you might say, a certain gallows humour, which I suspect the gladiators themselves had. And what it tries to do is to pull people off the stands and into the arena. There are dozens of other books written about gladiators, but here's one where I actually try and take you behind the shield, what it's like to see through the helmet, how much you can see through the helmet, um, how heavy your sword is, how you would rest your shield in between um, spells of fighting, how long you can expect a combat to take, all the nitty-gritty details that a real gladiator would know.
1: And what sorts of sources did you use then to, to have this more nitty-gritty um, understanding of gladiators?
0: Well, there were three different sources. And one of the joys of writing this kind of book is that you can combine them to make a complete picture. So the first source is the archaeological. And there's new archaeological discoveries coming up. There's places like the graveyard at Ephesus, where you can actually wander around and read gladiator tombstones, including one gladiator who claims that he died at the age of 99. so as well as the archaeological side, though, you've also got the mentions in the sources. So you have Cicero, who remarks that um, in rhetoric you have to be like a gladiator who's practised his stance so that he can move from attack to defence f- so fluently that it almost looks like poetry in motion. And Seneca also mentions an awful lot about gladiators, and Juvenal, who being a bit of a nerdy poet... Um, it seems to have taken a special dislike for them, and has some very informative invective about them. And finally, there are the reenactors, people who dress up in this kind of kit and try for themselves to see what it's like and what a gladiator would do. And quite often, I've learned a lot from them telling me what isn't, isn't possible.
1: Mm-hmm. And how realistic then would um, reenactments, of gladiators, and their combats?
0: Well, of course, um, the major limitation is that these days you can't really shove 18 inches of steel into somebody without the authorities getting very upset with you. So there is a major drawback there. But nevertheless, um, if you've seen these people fight, you'll know that they certainly go about it with a great deal of gusto and um, not a great deal of concern for their opponent's well-being. So a lot of the techniques that work there, such as opening up a shield by hooking it aside for a stab, that would still work today, but also small things like you'll notice my gladiator on the cover is barefoot, and that's because they discovered you can't wear sandals in an arena, because the sand gets between the straps and becomes pretty crippling after a while.
1: <laughs> and um, and it does mention in your book that you've been drawing on some new research, and I wondered what new source I mean, are new sources becoming available, um, and what, what is the latest research?
0: Well, the fall of the Iron Curtain has opened up a whole new area for research. Romania has basically, and Albania as well, have basically been treasure troves which have been archaeologically unexplored territory. So people have been all over them in recent years and finding some really interesting stuff, including inscriptions and um, artefacts. There's also been some interesting discoveries in the area of Carthage, and... Just a few months ago they thought they'd found a a gladiator graveyard up in York.
1: Mm. So what do you think the future of um, research into gladiators and the Roman Empire is? Where is it going?
0: Well, I think more and more we're moving away from the what to the why. So we have a pretty good idea, or we think we have a pretty good idea, of what a gladiator did and how he did it. But now we're looking at who were the gladiators? Where did they come from? Why did they fight? What was their function in Roman society? Um, What psychological needs did they address? Because, after all, seeing people fight and kill each other for entertainment um, has to have some sort of motivation behind it. So now we're starting to question that. That's the way it's going more and more. But also, um, there's the detail that more and more people are watching stuff, um, spectacles, what we call sword and sandal epics on the television. And they get more attracted to seeing the real thing and seeing what the latest research is.
1: Mm. And one very interesting and um, quite intriguing fact in your book was um, you mentioned that there were women gladiators, um, which I had absolutely no idea that there were. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Well, there certainly were women gladiators because um, in the British Museum just next to us, um, we have a picture of two women gladiators a bas-relief showing them actually in combat and telling us that they both came out of that fight alive. Um, women gladiators were not, a no- well, they were a novelty act, but they were serious fighters. That is to say, they were expected to fight to the death. They fought in the late afternoon, which was the traditional time for gladiator fighters. And you get the impression that it was basically a shortage of women trained to swing a sword effectively, which limited their numbers in the arena. Um, We know that Nero um, forced aristocratic women to fight as gladiators on one occasion. Um, We also know that um, in an inscription in Ostia, they forbid people who were of certain social ranks to have themselves or members of their family fight as gladiators. And the inscription makes it plain, they mean men and women. And that, combined with some of the poetry of Juvenile, tells us that women also found the idea of fighting as a gladiator in Rome quite attractive.
1: And um, you mentioned that Nero, so he got aristocratic women to fight, but on the whole, who were these women and what would have been their motivations or were they just simply forced to fight?
0: Um, the question of motivation is one that we're addressing, but I think... With those women who were volunteers, it would be the same reason as the male volunteers, a display of virtus, to show one's contempt for danger, one's tolerance of pain, one's lack of fear for death, a demonstration that you were a superior Roman. Some people, of course, were in it for what we call quaestus causa, for the money, and others were damnati; they were sentenced to it, so they had no choice. Mm.
1: That's very interesting, thank you very much.